in a world full of darkness and confusion, and uh, we have the word of God, which is light for us, and all this trouble going on in the Middle East, there is no way to understand it as we read the newspapers and the opinions of people, even specialists in geopolitics. They don't really know where is the root of that problem. And it's time that we explore a little bit in the Word of God what's going on, why this hatred between these people called Palestinians and uh, the people of Judah, although the hatred comes mainly from those that are not Jews to those against those that are Jews. That's a fact. They're are not trying to attack them or destroy them. But brethren, with the help of God, we have, we have the light of the word of God and we can understand. And we'll try to understand it today. The first documented terrorist attack that we know, that we are aware of, is the terrorist attack that we can read, and I ask you, please, brethren, to go to Exodus 17, and we're going to identify that type of strategy, which is an abomination before God, and we'll try to identify it. We see that it has continued throughout the ages to our day. And only when Israel would become a nation again, it would come to the surface. Although we have some example of it coming to the surface before, which we'll, we, we will quote too. So in chapter 17 of the book of Exodus, we have the first terrorist attack that we know of that's recorded in history. This happened in the year, I think it was 1447. The same year, 1,447, if I'm wrong, you will correct me, is the year of the liberation from Egypt of the children of Israel. They were on that first year, they were about to reach Mount Sinai, and they were protesting and murmuring and against Moses and blaming him again and again. You can read a little bit of that because it's important to it's important to take that into consideration for the circumstances we have observed in our days. So, in chapter 17 says, verse 1, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. Sin, you know. It was really sin. Protesting against God. According to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, but they, there was no water for the congregation to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us in our, and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord and saying, 
What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, also taking your hand, your rod, with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Oreb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That's a big offense to God after all the miracles he has performed. They have just been across the, the, the Red Sea. You, you remember the story just two chapters before this. But it's interesting, in these circumstances, we read verse 8. It's good to have the whole context in mind to understand what's going on today. Verse 8 says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said, to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Ur supported his hands one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. It's something very interesting here that Mr. Weston pointed to me. You know, why is it that they have, they are about to stone Moses, brethren? And God said to him, go up to the hill with the rod that you used to strike on the sea. And when his hands went on, that means Joshua was prevailing, the children of Israel. But he got tired, and his hand came down. And then Amalek would prevail. That's a profound lesson for us. That's what Mr. Weston pointed to me. That's our obligation to support the leadership of the church, brethren. That with all honesty, are trying to do the best to keep this work going, brethren. We need to support their hands. If we don't do it, trouble starts going on in our attitudes mainly. If we're not supportive of the leadership in in the work of the living God, which we have the tremendous privilege of being part of it. So let's remember that. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. 
Why was it this such a serious thing which Amalek did? Many other people attacked Israel even in the conquest of the Holy Land, but why God takes it so seriously? You know, and Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. That means Yahweh Nisi, because when he, that banner, his arms were up, God gave the victory to Israel. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, I'm going to read to you the correct translation of that last verse from Adams Clark commentary, which is very trustworthy in many, in many ways, not everything, we know that. It's interesting how he puts it, and you can verify this. I think very similar translation is in the revised or the new revised standard version. Let's keep this in mind. It says, this is the words of God. Because the hand of Amalek is against the throne of God. Some people think that Amalek attacked Israel because of the water. That's not being against the throne of God, brethren. This is a very serious offense in the eyes of God. Why does he detest it so much? He says, because, and we're going to see that. What's the reason? Because the Lord has sworn, excuse me, I continue with Adam Clark. Quote, because the hand of Amalek is against the throne of God. Therefore, I will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, the question is, who is Amalek? Why did they attack Israel? And why was that so serious offense in the sight of God? in saying that he had lifted his hand against the throne of God. What's the reason? I'm going to read to you the description that God makes of this attack in Deuteronomy chapter 25. I ask you, brethren, please, to go there. Deuteronomy chapter 25, God recalls Moses before his death what he had mentioned in Exodus 17. Let's read Deuteronomy 25, brethren, and in verse 17, let's read what it says. God is speaking to Moses here. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. Keep that in mind. This is the description of a terrorist attack. There are three characteristics. And we're going to see them described by God here. He says, how he made you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. So uh, there are three characteristics of a terrorist attack which we continue to observe in today's world when terrorism has multiplied. Number one, they attack from behind. Number two, they attack defenseless civil population. 
Number three, they don't face the army. That's exactly what we saw happening on the 7th of October. They attacked from behind. They were not facing the army. They attacked defenseless civil population, number two. And number three, they did not face the army. They will quickly go to hide under tunnels in the city of Gaza, but they will not face the army. That's the way these people operate. And that offended God greatly. Remember those three. Whenever you see a terrorist attack, that's exactly what happened on the 7th of October. So we can ask ourselves, who is Amalek? Now let's go. Let the Bible interpret itself. On chapter 36 of the book of Genesis, let's go to the beginning. And thank God for that wonderful teaching we have and the wisdom he's given to his church to look for answers in the book from God himself. Chapter 36 of the book of Genesis. Let's read this. <clears throat> okay. Here is talking about the genealogy of Esau, the brother of Jacob. Keep in mind, the only time because we traditionally have seen the conflict of the Middle East as a conflict between Ishmael and Isaac, who were two firstborn of Abraham, one by Hagar, the other one by Sarah. But frankly, brethren, the only way, the only part in the whole Bible that you find Ishmael by name against Israel is in chapter 83 of the book of Psalms. If we have time, we will go to that and see what's going on there. But when you look about Edom and Esau, you find it all over the Bible. You read the book of Ezekiel, it's full of quotes from God against Esau and Edom. You don't find it against Ishmael. There are some, yes, but no comparison. You go through Jeremiah, same thing. You go through the book of Amos. And uh, you find over and over the real conflict that we see in the Middle East is two brothers fighting for an inheritance. And we'll see it more and more clear as we go further. So let's look at chapter 36 of the book of Genesis. Verse 9. And this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These were the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, keep that in mind, is the firstborn. Eliphaz, well, this is the first mention every time you read. In the book of Chronicles 2, you read genealogy of Esau. First one to come out is Eliphaz. Why is it important? We're seeing in a moment. The son of Ada, the wife of Esau. Then let's read verse 11. And the sons of Eliphaz were Timan, interestingly enough, the name Yemen is Timan in Hebrew. It means south, and is on the very tip of the Arabian Peninsula. That's where the Yemen country is located, the Yemenites, the Timanites. So these words, I'm not going to make a study today about where they are all. In the, there are indications that 
a lot of the descendants of Esau might be in Turkey. But the ones that are making history now are not there. There has not been really a confrontation, a real confrontation with the Turkish people and Israel so far. Actually, because Turkey became a secular society at the beginning of the 20th century by Kemal Ataturk, I think was his name, a general, made of Turkey a secular society. Only now Mr. Erdogan is a religious Muslim. He's trying to turn Turkey back into a Muslim society. And there is more and more confrontation with Israel. Just for you to think about. So in verse 11, we see, and the sons of Eliphaz were Timan, Omar. You know, it might be a coincidence. I am not going to prove this, but one of the mosques that are in the mount of the temple is called the Mosque of Omar, of the, or it's also called the Dome of the Rock, of the Rock. And it's also called the Mosque of Omar. And here, as the name of a son of Isa. Why? We'll see in a moment. Zipho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Now, Timna was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She was the concubine of the firstborn. Take that in mind. And she bore Amalek. Here we have it. Amalek is a son of the firstborn of Esau. We're talking about birth right here. So she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These were the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. It's interesting that Ada was a Canaanite. So we have two reasons here. Why don't take it so seriously? Amalek is the son of the firstborn. He would have inherited that land if his grandfather would not have sold it for a dish of lentils. That's why he come in the front. It's like the, the point of the arrow of the Edomite peoples. He's almost mentioned apart, but he's an Edomite. He's a descendant of Esau by the firstborn. And he's a son of a, one of the wives of Esau who was a Canaanite. So he might have one, more than one reason to claim that land. So, so we know now that Amalek is a grandson of, the, of Esau and of Eliphaz, who is the firstborn of Esau. In a way, he felt he had right to that birthright. You know, Esau and Jacob reconciled in their life but their descendants kept a perpetual hatred and resentment because they only remember that Jacob kind of fooled his father Isaac, but they don't remember that their grandfather has sold and despised the birthright for a dish of lentils. And it's interesting that when Esau came with the game he had prepared for his father, his father was shocked to say, who are you? And then he said, your brother Jacob came ahead of you, and I have blessed him, and he will be blessed. He didn't curse a Jacob. Probably in the back of his mind, or maybe he likes so much the game of Esau, we don't know. Some people speculate that Rebecca never told him that 
the younger will rule over the older? We don't know. Maybe. But why did Isaac say to Esau, I bless him and he will be blessed? That means he did not take away the blessing. He did not curse Jacob. Or maybe he knew it. And God made it or allowed this thing to happen. And there are many speculations about that. But that's a fact in history. And he was blessed. Now, that means the birthright went to Jacob. What Esau despised, brethren, the birthright, we can say a few things he despised. He let his basic instinct rule his decision. And frankly, that's a characteristic of his descendants. They react in a violent way as we have seen it, and we will prove it. So the birthright included the Holy Land, the Holy Land that was given to the sons of Jacob. The birthright included, and you know that all of these things were inside Jacob, and he turned it to each one of his sons. But the first thing that belonged to all his descendants of Jacob was the Holy Land, the land of Israel. Israel, Edom lost that for a dish of lentils. Number two, the priesthood. He was in Jacob, he was a priest, but before he died, he gave that priesthood to the family of Aaron in the tribe of Levi. He lost the scepter. He didn't know all what he was losing, brethren. And that scepter was given to the family of David in the tribe of Judah. All that was gone from Esau because he didn't have the character. It was interesting. God changed the name of Jacob to Israel, who means overcomer. Overcomer with God. That means all the opposite of Esau's character. He had to learn some lessons. And we, if we are going to be the children of Israel and the spiritual Israel that's going to rule the world, we have to be overcomers of our own carnal nature, of this world influence, and of Satan himself. Then God will be absolutely sure that no other rebel will come up in his kingdom. And in verse 4 of chapter 30 of the first Samuel says, When David and the people who were with him lifted up their... Oh, excuse me. Here. Chapter 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag, when they were sent out by the Philistines, on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, the city where David and his men were taking refuge from Saul. And this, it says here, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, that's the town where David was taking refuge, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were with there, who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. How does that look like what happened there on the 7th of October? They took hostages. And here these people attacked 
Ziklag, when David and his men were not there. You see the same mentality coming up there. So it becomes clear from the pages of the word of God, what God said, you know, if we're going to seek among the tribes and ethnic groups in the Middle East is a mess. Can you, how can you identify a nation there? God give us a key. By their fruits, you will know them. So better not take entangled with all these theories about who was there, why minority was here or there. Let's go by the word of God. He said, by the fruits, you will know them. And here we're seeing the fruits of these people, Amalek. The same thing they did in the desert to Israel, the same thing they did in the town of Ziklag, they attacked when David was not there and took the women and the children. And they were going to stone David, his own men. And God revealed to David to go after them and you will get back your women and your children. They were crying with a great cry because he had, they had taken their families. That's exactly what is happening now. I pray for the prisoners. You imagine, brethren, being in a dark place there under the ground, expecting death at any moment, if these savage people would come and kill them because they are, the Israel is not following their conditions. It's terrible. I don't want even to imagine, but I try to imagine what's to be there day and night for 50 days, or I don't know how many days have gone by. It's a terrible thing. Now, they were provoking God, brethren, frankly. They were celebrating that day. It's similar to when God intervened and gave the water and then allowed Amalek to attack. When they, the Jews have made now, they are not happy with having Tel Aviv as the capital of, this, of the homosexuals in the world. They have made two parades in Jerusalem against the will, of course, of some Orthodox ministers, especially the ministers national security, who is an orthodox, they didn't want to allow that. But there is a lot of political power behind this. And they were, they had a gay parade in Jerusalem, brethren. That's lifting your hands against the throne of God. It's tempting God. And that's what Moses said to the people in chapter 17 of the book of Exodus. Why do you tempt God? And then God allowed Amalek to come and attack them when they provoke him. And now these people make gay parades in Jerusalem. That's lifting their hands against the throne of God. They know the Torah, and they know they have no excuse, brethren. I love these people. I love the Jewish people. Some of my best friends have always been Jews. But they were tempting God when this attack came. They were celebrating a pagan music, you know, electronic music, and doing the wrong thing on the double holiday. It was a Sabbath, and it was the last great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And there they were dancing, and it seems they were doing things I don't want to mention here, but it's really almost like the people of Israel dancing around the golden calf. And then this attack came. So they provoke God, brethren. We have to be objective. But, so, let's read here. So we have another example here of Amalek behavior. Let's look at another one. 
in the book of Esther. And then you will see we can identify it or not by their fruits, not by seeking what ethnic group they are. No, that's manifested by their fruits. In the book of Esther, brethren, and I hope all of you have read that book, is right before, it's after Ezra and Nehemiah, right before the book of Job, I think, you find the book of Esther. You know the story. I'm not going to go into many details. And uh, the book of Esther, you know how Esther was made a queen. I'm not going to repeat the story. You know it. I'm going to zero on something very interesting here. In chapter 3 of the book of Esther, we read the following. After these things, verse 1, Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamedatha, the Agagite. The Bible immediately points to the fact that this man, Haman, was not a Persian. He said he was the son of Hamedatha, the Agagite, who was a Gag. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, and you have the answer right there. 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says, God sent Saul to fight with the Amalekites. I'm not going to read this in detail now. And you know that Samuel killed the king of Amalek that Saul have not executed. And his name was Agag. You can find it there. I don't see it right now here. And then, let me see. It's interesting to read this. It says, Samuel said, okay, now therefore, okay, maybe you have found it already. Excuse me, brethren. Okay, here it is, verse 32 of chapter 15 of the book of 1 Samuel. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites. Is it clear or not? Now we see the prime minister of the whole empire, Medo-Persian empire, is an Amalekite, a descendant of the king of Amalek is appointed prime minister by King Ahasuerus. After these things, King Ahasuerus, chapter 3, going back to the book of Esther, you have seen everything I tell you here are things that God has said. I'm not inventing anything. And this is very strong for the world, but we should know what God says about it. After the king Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamedatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. Now, you know that Mordecai was the cousin. He was not the uncle. You read carefully. He was not an uncle of Esther. He was a first cousin. And he adopted her. He was much younger than him as his daughter. And he, she became the king, the queen of the whole empire. And then, uh, you know that Mordecai 
knew who this man was. He knew the story. He knew who Amalek was, so he would not bow or kneel down before him like everybody else was doing. And he was extremely wroth, this guy, Haman. Verse 5 of chapter 3 of the book of Esther. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. You see, that's what Amalek was trying to do in the desert. They don't try to submit the Jews and take over the land. They want to make them disappear as a, as a race, as a group. That's their intention. Ray, uh, Itzhak Rabin, Prime Minister of Israel, he, he gave so much, he offered so much to Yasser Arafat, half of Jerusalem, half of the whole land. Actually, a fanatic killed him, killed Isaac Rabin, because he thought he was giving too much to the Amalekites, which Yasser Arafat certainly was an Amalekite by his behavior. You can, you can know by their fruits, by his hatred for Israel. And so here he said, Bohidis Dain, verse 6, to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Asuerus, the people of Mordecai. That's 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. And he was the prime minister. And look how he convinced the king in verse 8. Then Haman said to the king Asuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people of in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. Verse 9, if it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamedatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. You know that Queen Esther risked her life and God used her to save her people. God needed Israel to be as a nation all the way to Christ's coming, first coming. And if we have time, he needs them there also for his second coming. Not for their righteousness, but because God's plan cannot be changed. And much less by the hand of the enemies of his people. So, you know the rest of the story. In verse 13, and the letters were sent by couriers into the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, 
in one day on the 13th of the day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. We have seen this happen in Nazi Germany, also a very similar thing. Psalm 105, and we see what God has declared. It's very interesting. Psalm 105 says the following thing. Verse 7, Psalm 105, verse 7. He is the Lord our God. <clears throat> Psalm 105, verse 7. His judgment are in all the earth. He has remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham. And then, and his oath to Isaac. And confirm it to Jacob, not to Esau. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And confirm to Jacob for a statute to Israel for an everlasting covenant. So the nation that pretend to displace the Jews from there are lifting their hands against the throne of God. Here is what he declares with an oath for everlasting. This land is yours. And one thing very interesting, brethren, is that the Quran itself acknowledges that that land was given by God, by Allah, they say Allah, but is given to the people of Israel. I think I have here the Shura. Let me see if I find it somewhere. If I brought it or not, we'll see, brethren. Too many papers here. And uh, I think I left that. <clears throat> it's in Shura chapter 5. It says, Allah has given the holy land. He said to Musa, Moses, Allah has given the holy land to your people in the, in the Quran. And I read the commentary of the Quran, and they said, no, he was telling them to go back to Egypt, which God never does. He said, never go back by that way. So the one who was writing the commentary, he doesn't know the Bible at all. But they, they don't want that to be there, but they cannot erase it. It's there. You can look if you find a, a copy of the Quran on chapter in the Shura, number five, there is a declaration there by Allah, by Muhammad, that God gave that land to the children of Israel. And it's interesting that Ishmael, which is mainly where the Muslim religion was born in Saudi Arabia, is never against Judah except against Israel, like I mentioned before, in Psalm 83. You don't find it anywhere else. Maybe when it's mentioned an Arab in Ezra, Nehemiah, maybe it was an Ishmaelite, but we will see it in a moment how that works. So here we are then showing the identity of these people by their fruits and by their hatred. They killed in cold blood 1,200 Jewish people, families, children, women, and men. And what even Elon Musk, who was there, <clears throat> he was accused of being anti-Semite, 
Semitic, and she, she made sure he went to Israel. <laughs> he also wanted to lose the support of the Jewish people. And he visited one of the kibbutz, and he was astonished, saying, they killed with joy. It's so much the hatred and the blindness of these people. So if they want to possess that land, they are raising their hand against the throne of God, who has given us everlasting covenant to the children of Jacob. And their own book says that. But they don't want, they ignore it or they interpret it, whatever they want to do it. So it's important, brethren, to have these things in mind because you don't find outside the Bible, you don't find an explanation of what's going on in the Middle East. What is going on there are two brothers, you know, Amalek is an Edomite fighting for an inheritance. That's where, what's, where the whole problem is there, and we can understand it from the pages of the Bible. What's the conflict going on? They, they were fighting even inside their mother. Esau and Jacob were fighting each other there. Maybe to see which one would come first. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just a speculation, brethren. So that's, that's a part of the story. And uh, you wonder after this, God said he had an everlasting war against Amalek. And so far, all terrorist attacks have failed to overthrow the nation of Israel. I don't know if you remember Entebbe when they, they kidnapped an airplane and they were, they were able to rescue practically, practically everyone just except one person died who happened to be a brother of Netanyahu who, was, who died in that amazing rescue from all the way from Uganda. Then you know the, the wars that have been fought against Israel by the Six-Day War. God proved, you know, Syria, Jordan, and Egypt together attacked Israel. And in six days, they obliterated their armies. God was showing he wants those people there because he has prophesied things and that thing includes the sacrifices have to start in Jerusalem. And if someone wants to change that, he's raising his hand against the throne of God. Again, God is not protecting them for their righteousness. Like he, Moses said it several times to the people of Israel. God is not giving you this land because of your righteousness. It's because he loves your fathers, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he promised it to them. And he is fulfilling his word. And the same thing now. But still, that word, cursed are those that curse you, and blessed are those that bless you, is still a word that is there. It still has a lot of weight. So what happened when this war, I mean, <clears throat> the reaction of the Jewish people what happened with that reaction? I would like to have a map here of the surrounding countries of the land of Israel where Judah now lives. Mr. Nathan says in his article that you should read that appear, what's ahead for Jerusalem? I think it was the title in the, in the last uh, issue, November, December. You should look for it. Very important article written by Mr. Nathan. So the Jews now who live in the Holy Land are divided. 
They are divided. Half of the nation wants to continue as a secular nation. They don't want to be ruled by the Orthodox Jews. But in order for Netanyahu to stay in power, he has had the support of religious groups that are very, very much, excuse me for the redundance, they're religious. And they want a religious government in Israel. So the nation is divided. What did Christ say, brethren? We can see now what's ahead for that nation, and we should be aware of it. Let's look at chapter 12 of the book of Matthew. Chapter 12, and see what God says. Christ said in chapter 12, verse 25, but Jesus knew their thoughts. That's Matthew 12, 25. You find this in Mark also and in Luke, the same statement. Verse 25, Matthew 12. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. These are words of Christ himself. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Israel is going to be greatly weakened. Their army won't be the same. And the economic power will not be the same if they become a religious majority, religious government. And we know it's going to happen because the sacrifices are going to be started sooner or later. And only they will start when there is enough authority to authorize those sacrifices. People think that they are going to ask permission from the West to, to do sacrifice. They are not going to ask permission. They are going to take over. And, that's, and they are going to start those sacrifices because it's written. And that's another way how the hand of Amalek raises against the throne of God. Because they want to change what God has already determined. God has determined that those sacrifices, chapter 12 of the book of Daniel, are going to be started, and we can count when they are stopped, that means they will start, the number of days for the return of the Messiah. And the Orthodox, they know that what Scripture means. And they are waiting for the Messiah. It will be the, the first coming for them. It will be the second one for us. And then there will be a remnant left in Judah, a remnant that will see Christ coming back on the clouds. And they will see the one that they pierced. And they will cry. It's in the book of Zechariah. They will recognize him. Now, we all pierce him. People tend to blame the Jews. We are all guilty of the death of Jesus Christ because we have all sinned. That's a bad thing that happened in Spain during the Inquisition. They accuse the Jews of the killers of Christ, and they look at themselves, that we have part on it too. We should never forget that. So we see Judah is going to be weakened. And then he's going to be surrounded by armies. What is going on right now in the Middle East? And let's now let me read to you. Let me read to you what's going on. Let's read Psalm 83. 
And I will read to you some 83. I read to you what's going on right now from the November 13th of the Wall Street Journal, Monday, November 13th. I will read this to you, but read, let's read first what Psalm 83 says. Do not keep silent of God. Do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. Even if they are not righteous brethren, God has sheltered Israel. You read all the wars that have happened, you know. This, there was a first, a first war of the Arabs against Judah. Then the second one was the Six-Day War. It was Syria. It's right there on the north. It was Jordan. And don't rem remember that. Jordan has the custody of the Temple Mount to this day. When Moshe Dayan took over, he didn't feel it was necessary for them to take over the mount of the temple because they were not religious people. And they knew that would create a big uproar among the Muslim world all over the earth because they considered Jerusalem the third most important city in the world for the Muslim religion. First, La Mecca, you know, in Saudi Arabia, Second, Medina in Saudi Arabia. And third, Jerusalem, where they say that Mohammed went to heaven in his horse. So they consider Jerusalem very important in their eyes. And they have two mosques on the top of the Temple Mount, which I tell you, it might be a coincidence. They want to recover the priesthood, which they lost when Esau sold his birthright. And one of those mosques is called the Mosque of Omar, which was a grandson, a son of Eliphaz, I think, of Esau. And they keep that very jealously. And the Jews actually are forbidden to pray there because the ones who won the Six-Day War were not religious Jews. Moshe Dayan was not religious. But now... The Knesset, the religious ones, consider, and the, the, the minister of security, Gevir, is his name, Itamar Gevir, considers the Temple Mount a most important location where Israel should exercise in its government. And to this day, I tell you, the custody of that place is in the hands of Jordan, which you see there. Where are the Ammonites and the Moabites? Let's look at Zechariah chapter 14, and uh, we will see what happens here. Prophet Zechariah chapter 14, he says, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. We know about Revelation chapter 11, that the Gentiles withdraw the holy city for 42 months. That means 
the nation of Judah will be taken over by the Gentile world. The Edomites will be helping, but the actual power is going to be the Assyrian, today the German power. You know, when I study history, the Holy Roman Empire from the days of Otton in 962, when he was crowned, he was the first German, although Charlemagne was before him, he was, from that on, I learned in history that empire, the Roman Empire is called the Holy Roman Germanic Empire, all the way from Othon, then to the Habsburg, and actually, you know, in the days of the Second War, it was still Germanic. We, can, we count that as the Sixth Restoration. The main part was Germany. It was under Adolf Hitler. So we're going to see in a moment something very important. But I'm going to continue to read for you here this prophecy. Chapter 14 again of Zechariah. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, because the city will be taken, but not just by terrorists. It will be taken by the Holy Roman Germanic Empire. And we know that. And the beast will set, will stop the sacrifices and sit there and fulfill the abomination of desolation, which you should know about. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. And those nations include those that are surrounding Jerusalem there, Syria and in the north, you know, and then Jordan. Why? Because they will be offering sacrifices on the Temple Mount. And Jordan will be very offended because they have the custody of the Temple Mount. That's the problem. And those are Moab and Ammon, like I told you. So they will be offended. They will come and they will join the armies of the beast power when they come down against Egypt. But they'll stop in Jerusalem and surround the city. And we see something very important here. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. That's 1,260 days before the return of Christ. The houses rifled and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut out, cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. When? 42 months later. But we are starting to see, brethren, the signs of the end before our own eyes.